It means a lot to hear. It is a privilege to be here together with you, so thank you, Metamora Mennonite, for allowing us, Roanoke Mennonite, to journey together in this season of Lent, and uh, thank you, pastoral teams and lead worship leadership and the ministry leaders that are involved in uh, uniting us on this purpose. Our joint service today is just one of uh, several over the next few months that we're doing, and while we have separate series happening simultaneously, our messages overlap, and, and they intersect in God's grace, which is what we're talking about today. So we will indeed become full to the brim as we continue seeking God's way to that fulfillment in Jesus. Before we get too far, I have a confession to make to you. I was tempted not to bring a message today. I was curious to see if the value I held would remain without producing something for you to chew on. All kidding aside, there's going to be a message. Uh, we place a great deal of worth on what someone can offer us, don't we? In our society, we value a good work ethic. And what's implied in that statement is that we value people who do what is necessary to provide an expected outcome. We judge them worthy or not worthy of existence based on their output. No? Too far? Too strong? No one here has ever said or agreed with someone who said so-and-so is a complete waste of space. Maybe that's farther than you went. Maybe it was more like, they are a complete waste of my time. Does that ring more true? Because we see time as a commodity, as something we hold in value. We're essentially denying the value of the person about whom we're speaking. Isn't that right? And just to be clear, I'm not saying these things or asking these questions because I've never done them. I'm as guilty as anyone of seeing others as a waste of resources. Specifically, the resources they are wasting are my time, my energy, and my patience. And that, that last one is where I seem to struggle. It's it's where I seem to run low on too quickly from Jesus. Uh, this is parable that we see with other people. And that landowner in Jesus' parable and I are not so different, it appears. Is it fair to say that we can all at times recognize a bit of that mindset in ourselves? Is that a fair statement? So much of what we hear, are taught, and get shown in our lives reflects this way of thinking, the commercialization of everything and everyone is destroying our right relationships with God and others. And it not only impacts those we say these things about, it also distorts our understanding of our own worth. When we fail to see the 
evidence as put forth by this worldview in our lives, we begin to doubt our own worthiness. When the people around us respond negatively if we fail to convey the priorities of the systems of worth in the world, we wonder about the space we take. Is the ground around us useless? Are we unworthy of the time and care of others? Does our lack of achievement by social standards mean we should be removed or replaced? And these are just a few of the questions that arise within us when we feel these external pressures of success, status, and public identity bearing down on us. And it's a very real struggle for pastors. It's a very real struggle for me. And it's one that can be true in any field you may find yourself. When the way we identify ourselves fails to meet the standards of the culture where we are planted in, we struggle to hold out hope for ourselves. What does that mean for those of us who no longer fit traditional definitions of worth? When our thinking, our speaking, our moving, our responding produce different results than expected. How will those around us react? Will they see us as a waste of space, time, and energy? And if the people we're asking those questions of are God's representatives in the world, what does that mean for how God views us? These are the very real, very personal, very gut-wrenching questions of people we interact with every day. Sometimes that person is looking back at us in the mirror. We place expectations, spoken and unspoken on people to present a certain way. We see as evident the necessity to offer to others what they expect. Yet this parable of the fig tree that we heard, told by Jesus, gives us a different lens by which we judge the worth of ourselves and others. So if you recall, Jesus has just finished laying this groundwork for what's coming. News of the day prompted questions that, that would have been common of the people of the time in their minds. When calamities took place, their worldview told these first century Jewish residents of Palestine that those impacted were at fault. Somehow, some way, they had something to do with it. Something about the way they lived or acted was sinful, and this was God's way of removing them from the face of the earth, Right? That's the real basis to bringing the, this news to Jesus. 
They had questions. And they were hoping for Jesus to, to validate their understanding of how life works. What Jesus does, though, is get them to see themselves as those who experience the negative outcomes. By asking about the level of guilt comparatively, he, he kind of removes them from that judgment seat they started on. And by telling them that their own actions are what they should be checking, he brings them to a place of equal standing before God. In essence, he says, there will come a day when everyone meets their end in this form of life. But until that day comes, know that you have the opportunity to change your way of thinking and acting to reflect God's own. That's what repentance means, to change our mind, to change our heart, and to change our course of direction and action because of our new understanding of who we are to God in Jesus. And that's what this parable of the fig tree conveys. It speaks to our worth in God's eyes. Even when we feel out of place or unproductive compared to the standards around us, God says, you are worthy. You are worthy of my time. You are worthy of my energy. You are worthy of my patient and tender care. The people Jesus was speaking to knew that this vineyard represented the people of God. They had heard these scriptures all their lives comparing Israel to a vineyard, and they also thought they, thought they knew that what they produced, the results of their actions, were directly reflected in the outcomes of their lives. Yet here is Jesus talking about a fig tree that doesn't produce anything at all. Surely the caretaker of the vineyard would agree with the owner about the need to cut it down. But that's not what happens, is it? Instead, Jesus tells them that the caretaker sees value in this fig tree that doesn't reflect the growth patterns around it. He knows that there is purpose in this tree that the owner of the vineyard can't see by only looking for the fruit they were hoping to find. So this caretaker pleads for more time. And not only does he step in on the fig tree's behalf, this man takes it upon himself to be responsible for the results that follow. Jesus says of this caretaker, I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. Then, if you're not satisfied, we'll do what's needed. And the implication is that if the tree doesn't bear fruit in a year, it will be cut down. That's what we're left thinking. Is it possible, though, that even if it didn't produce any figs, that this fig tree held great worth? See, what we think we see in here is a reflection of the fig tree's ability 
to produce an expected outcome. Yet what Jesus is revealing to us is that the work is entirely his. Jesus is the caretaker who steps in on behalf, on our behalf, when we fail to produce the fruit of repentance that he talks about. And in our struggle to live up to the expectations of a good, holy, and loving God, Jesus provides all that's required. He comes into the world to dig around the earth and offer new hope and new life. He fertilized the soil of our lives by the work of his own hands, by the scars that they show. From the labor of love he offered on the cross, he carried for us. And in Jesus, God offers grace beyond grace of our wildest imaginations. That new life we see God give Jesus in raising him from the grave is also given to us through Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. There's no work we can perform to attain it. Nothing we do will ever make us unworthy of that sacrificial love Jesus offers us in our weakest moments. So when the world around us sees us as useless, Jesus sees the fullness of our divine purpose. Like the fig tree, you are worthy. You're not a lost cause. You're not a waste of resources. You deserve to be nurtured. Your fruit will come. I need to hear that. Sometimes I forget these truths too. I forget that in Jesus, I have moved from earning or attempting to earn to receiving God's grace. Sarah Ayers Speed is a pastor in the Presbyterian Church who's also a writer and a poet. And she reflects well my experience of desiring to hold on to this teaching of Jesus about who we are in her poem, What I Forget, or What I Forgot. It says, Sometimes I wish I was the fig tree. No fruit here, just soaking up the sun, growing roots, turning green, stretching out my branches until I can hug the horizon. Sometimes I wish I was the fig tree because she doesn't produce. She's not exhausted, and she probably gets eight hours of sleep at night. And her branches, unlike my shoulders, are not heavy with work, pulled toward the ground, threatening to break. And her trunk, unlike my spine, is not fighting to stand tall while holding it all together. Sometimes I wish I was the fig tree because she knows what I forgot many years ago. You are still worthy even if you don't produce. Our worth is not in our work 
but in our whereabouts. Worth is not in the position we take, but in the purpose we hold. Our worth is not in how we're employed, but in whom and by whom we are being equipped. When we remain in God's garden, with Jesus as our caretaker, we hold on to hope. When we accept Christ's unending love for us, we offer grace to others. When we allow the work of the Spirit to nourish our souls, we are filled to the brim with all that God desires for us. Now, I heard this in the children's story, and I know that I thought about it. Did you ever wonder what happened to the fig tree? Because I have. Well, if that fig tree represents God's people, Israel at the, Israel at the time, Romans 11 gives us a better picture of how the vineyard owner and the caretaker responded to the fig tree. Paul says this in, verse six, verse, in the first six verses of Romans 11. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. And if it were, grace would no longer be grace. In this passage, it's clear that God did not cut away the fig tree. Instead, he did this radical botanical surgery on it, right? Romans 11 later on also makes it clear that God is not done yet with that surgery. There are more branches to be grafted in. That fig tree holds purpose. What may have needed pruned off from the fig tree can still be grafted back in. This morning, we are being asked to accept a new understanding of God's view of our worth. We are being given an opportunity to move from earning to receiving the love of God in Christ Jesus, just as we are. We are being asked to allow the work of Jesus in us and in others to make us full to the brim with God's grace. As Pastor Eric said last week, God is at work even now, wherever, and whenever we may be. So let us allow God's Spirit to fill us with this understanding that we are worthy of the space we live in. Let us overflow with this message to those we meet in the days ahead. And let us do so as we continue seeking God's way of living and being in the world. Will you pray with me, please?
loving and gracious God. There are no words to express the profound gift you have given us in this parable from your son Jesus, but more so just in him and who he is to us. So thank you. Help us to always recognize how you see us when we look in the mirror, when we see the people in front of us. Guide us in this journey through your spirit. Amen.